Father, this morning we just thank you, Father. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We come before thee this morning. We surrender ourselves, Lord. The entrance of your word brings light. You said your word is spirit and life to those who received them. And you said in your word that you sent forth your word and healed us of our infirmities. It's healing for the body, deliverance for the soul, and health for the whole person, Lord. And I pray even today, your word will not go void. It will achieve the purpose for which you are sending it forth. I am just a vessel, just a channel. The word is yours, the power is yours, the glory is yours. So to you, we surrender, Lord, this hour. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen, 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 amen. Remember, we've been looking at liberty, and we know Jesus saying, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We need to be Aware of the times we live in. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. You know how, you know very well how to read the weather. But how come you are not able to read the signs? Okay? How to read the signs. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8, I did not give it to you there. Okay? So that we know. Okay, because there are signs in the Bible. That's the whole, the Bible is a living book. Okay, it's a living book. It's a book that talks to us. It's a book for all time. All time. Of course, we'll understand the Bible better after rapture. Truly, we'll understand the Bible better after rapture. But as much as we can, we should learn. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. The transition was sudden. Just sudden. Okay. For years, literally centuries, Israel had lived in peace in Egypt. Relative peace, prosperity, calmness. Then suddenly a new king came and everything changed. A king who did not know Jesus. He knew about Jesus. He did not know Jesus. It's impossible for him not to have known about Joseph, who was the reason for the prosperity of Egypt. But he did not know Jesus. And suddenly everything changed. And you know what? Israel was in trouble. Persecution rose. Israel was in trouble. And if we have looked, in the past one year, suddenly the entire atmosphere in the world has changed. Suddenly, starting from US, all the way, everywhere, there's a hostility towards the believing Christians. There's a hostility. A new king has risen. Okay. Now, why did God allow this? Why did God allow this? Why did God allow, who's sovereign in control of all dispensation, allow this? You know why? Because Israel had got so comfortable in Egypt, they were not willing to leave. So a new king came, and suddenly life became uncomfortable, and they were ready to leave. So you have to read the signs to understand. Okay. Why is God allowing this? Because God in so many ways 
is preparing the church to exit. Okay? Preparing the church. Because we are very comfortable with this world. <laughs> Even now, almost all of our prayers are connected with this world. And honestly, just look into our own hearts. How many of us are ready for exit? How many of us are really ready for exit? So there are these pictures in the Bible. Okay? The first person who dies in the Bible is a shepherd. The shepherd who lays down his life. He's murdered by his brother. His brother, Cain, represents the law. And Abel represents faith, grace. So literally, Abel is a type of Christ who lays down his life. And then you have the seventh from Adam who walked with God and was taken up alive. So there is a rapture. And then tenth from that, there is a family alone that comes through the judgment. Okay. So God says, look at that picture. Because rapture is not family, it is individual. Two will be in a bed, one will be taken. Meaning the only one who is prepared is taken. While when it comes to the tenth generation judgment, you see the family being taken. So God is saying, either way, as an individual or as a family, don't forget your focus. Focus on exiting and focus on your family. Getting your family out before judgment falls. Okay? So, don't worry about your career. Don't worry about your jobs. Don't worry about your income. Don't worry about any of these things. All these things God will take care of. That's his promise. That's his promise. Okay? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added on. Don't worry about any of these things. This is not the time to think about those things. It will automatically fall into place. If we put first things first. First, personally prepare to exit. The day and the hour, no man comes. Also, in the, in the meantime, occupy till he comes. And then, watch over your families. Intercede. Put your family, your household at the top. You don't want to, I mean, you will be, but it will be a sad day to reach heaven and know many of your family did not make it. Your loved ones did not make it. Okay. I mean, I think about it. Who will pray with burden for your family more than you? Right? Who will pray with burden for your own family more than you? Okay? So, keep that in mind. Because the battle has to be won here. That's why the devil uses a distraction. Devil, he has so many weapons in arrows in his cure. And one of his is that he gets us distracted and discouraged and depressed by what is happening in the world so that we forget our focus. Our focus. Our focus is, ultimately we know, the world is passing away. It is passing away. The world will be burned up. And Peter will say, what should we do? Prepare for his coming and our exit. So we saw the battle is here. If you win in the mind, you will win outside. Okay. Ultimately, even in the world, if you see the people who prevail for a season, and then they will, of course, go into death, are people whose minds are very strong. 
Do you know that you are only as strong as your mind? And not as strong as your body? You are only as strong as your mind. Okay. And the strongest mind that came that day into the battlefield was a young boy called Goliath. <laughs> Sorry, David facing a giant. His mind was very strong. He was not a warrior. He was not a warrior. But his mind was stayed on God. Trusted his God. His mind was very strong. So don't go to the gym, build muscles and all that is okay. Okay? That's all good. But ultimately when the crisis hits you, your muscles won't help. They'll go flabby. It's how strong your mind is. And you know what positionally, what God says? We have the strongest mind in the world. We have the mind of Christ. Develop it. Don't develop the other one. Develop the mind of Christ. Okay? So Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So let's come back. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. We have to know our enemy, the tactics of the enemy, the wiles of the enemy. 6.11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The complete armor. Not partial, not one piece, two piece. Okay, You're not sunbathing in the beach. You're fighting an enemy. Whole armor. Whole armor. You know what happened to Ahab, right? If you do not have God covering you, a chance shot of an archer will still find its mark. The chink in your armor. And that man died. You can't escape. Okay, so the Bible is very clear. To fight the wiles, it's a wily character. The wiles of the enemy, what do we need? We need the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. Put on, put on. It does not say, he will dress you. He will dress you. No. He says, put on. See, when I see all of you standing over here and I'm looking at, okay, they're all grown. This one joy about children growing. <clears throat> and then there is another fear of children growing. You know what? Spiritually speaking, when our children are small, all the little ones sitting over there, we dress them. We dress them, right? We put the dress for them. And they are babies. Everything you have to do. Okay? Myself, myself, they will say, but they cannot put it on. So when our children are small, we have great spiritual authority over them in protecting them. We cover them. And the older you grow, the covering goes. You have to put on yourself. And sometimes our prayers for you will not work because God says no. Let them put on. Let them put on. So there is great joy in seeing all of you grow up. But also with growth comes responsibility to fight your own battles. Understand that. Okay? There will be less and less what we can do for you as parents. The covering, God says, yes, you can cover them. But let them learn to fight their battles. Let them put on. So put on the whole armor. And it comes to verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, <coughs> having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having, see if you look at it, who's doing this? It's me doing it. It's not repeating it as a mantra. Don't be like that. 
Okay, memorize it, speak it, but it still does not work. Spiritually, factually, experientially, you have to put it on. Otherwise, it will not work. Okay, let me explain to you. There is a legal term and there is an experiential term. Peter is here, so I'll pick on Peter because he's single, no? second Peter. Let us say, Peter is married. It's a legal term. Peter is unhappy in his marriage. That is an experiential term. You are in Christ. Legal, true. Are you walking in liberty? That's experience. Are you walking in liberty? Two people standing out in the rain. Both have umbrellas. One has it opened above his head, the other under his arm. Legally, both have umbrellas. One is standing under cover, the other is drenched. Do they both have umbrellas? They do. So this is not questioning whether you are saved or not. No, this is not about your salvation. This is about walking in liberty. Walking in liberty, walking in the freedom, the blood-bought freedom which Jesus has. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then, above all, taking the shield of faith. You need the shield of faith. Why? Because the enemy will start sending his fiery arrows. It will come through this. It will come through iPad. It will come through bigger. The bigger the screen, the bigger the arrow. Because you have that 3D effect also now. 4D effect. The arrows come. Okay. With sound like the drum was sounding today. Right? Remember? With all that sound it comes. Okay. And don't get fooled by the sounds. Okay. When the sound is good, if we have that, what you call it, the sound system, you know how these music concerts are, the sound level, decibel level is so high and everybody seems to be worshipping, but most of them are slaves. They are not free. Okay. It's just a light and sound show. That is not what we are talking about. We are talking about is experientially. Are you able to fight the enemy? Are you really, really able to fight the enemy? When his fiery arrows are being shot at you, do you have the word in you to, to cancel it out? Do you have it? And then take the helmet of salvation. Put it together. How is your mind? How does your mind operate? How is your thought life? How are you thinking? Okay, today we will see. We will see where the issues are because we need, we need to be a radiologist today. Okay? We need to scan our brain. A brain scan, an MRI scan. How does the enemy operate? And what is the solution? How does he operate? Where is our problem? Where is our problem? We saw last week, in the past weeks, in John 10.10, that the enemy comes, the thief comes what? <clears throat> to steal, except... Meaning it doesn't matter which format he comes in. He come, may come with a tie and a suit. He may come like a beggar. Okay, We know all our uh, ancient Greek and all pagan histories. You know, whichever forms their gods come. Gods come in many, many forms. Including as beggars and all they come. But the devil comes in so many forms. But whatever form he comes, he comes with one intention. What is that? To steal. 
to kill, to destroy. His intention is always the same. His intention never changes. God, his intention never changes. Every time he comes, he comes to give us life. Understand that. Every time God comes to us, he comes to give us life. To his children, when he's mad, it is to give us life. When he's kind, it is to give us life. When he's very loving, it is to give us life. He never comes to his children to give death. He comes to give life. So understand intention very, very clearly. We saw last time that <clears throat> he first causes doubt. Many of the decisions we take, you need to listen to that clip of John MacArthur speaking to a thousand young people. He said, people need convictions. The problem is people don't have strong convictions. We need convictions. Why do we do the things we do? Because we don't have convictions. We are, he's, like I said, we are like the cork in water. You know the cork in water? It just goes. Whichever way it goes, it goes. But if you have convictions, you are like, you are, you are thrown into Babylon and your convictions are very, very strong. And like those four men willing to risk their life because of their convictions. And in these last days when everything is being ruffled, everything is being changed, be sure you have strong convictions. So the first stage, he causes doubt. Second stage, he causes unbelief. And when he, unbelief sets in, we transgress what God has done. Okay? We transgress, which is sin. Which causes separation. And separation, at that level, if we are not careful, will go to death. And death, if it is not dealt with, leads to destruction. And the devil has created this entire world in such a way to doubt God's word. Because we are sensory people. We see, we hear, we touch, we feel, we taste, and we look at all those things and we think, we become scoffers of Noah's age. Can this be true? What this word of God says, can it be true? We become scoffers. Our senses deceive us. Our five senses. And this world is made for these senses. Otherwise, why are you glued onto your gadgets for so long? You're not listening to the word. Our senses deceive us. And the more we hear, the more we watch, and the more we look into the world, our senses are being saturated with the lies of the devil. While the word of God is very clear, the word is, world is passing away. And one day where the world will be burned up. And we should be living as people ready to leave anytime. Back and live. Anytime. Ready to leave. So understand how he deceives. So don't get put so much honest on this world. Because it's been created that way. Not this. The enemy cannot cause you to sin. Nobody can say, devil made me do it. He cannot do it. He cannot do it. He can only tempt us. We choose to sin. We choose to sin. And he uses his lies. And he uses those lies. He makes it very, very attractive. Okay, very, very attractive. And uh, he uses what God has created. He hasn't created anything. Please understand. Devil has never created anything. He uses what God, he uses that tree which God created. Cast doubt on what God said. 
tempted and temptation suddenly made it look, it was beautiful for the eyes, good for the stomach and good for wisdom. He used what God had, but he caused doubt of what God said. So everything that you have is something which God created. And then he changes what God has said about it. Okay, And he uses those very things to tempt us to go against what God's word, to misuse it. God has created everything to be used in a particular way. He will cause us to misuse it or abuse it. Abuse it. And then we transgress. And he's got his way with us. So God's word is the truth. That's our first conviction. Our first conviction should be this. You know what? This is truth. This is the truth. Nothing but the truth. So help me God. This is truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Revelation 22 verse 18 and 19. Specifically about the book of Revelation. Generally about the whole word of God. Specifically about Revelation because Revelation is the final testament of God about how the end will come. And in the last days, many deceivers will come and say, I dreamt this. Jesus appeared to me. I saw this. And they will try to deceive people and say, here is Christ. There is Christ. This is the way out. So be very, very careful. Study, read, Meditate upon the word of God. There's a special blessing to people who meditate and obey the book of Revelation. Why? It is Revelation. How to live the last days out. So don't add, don't subtract. Principle to the whole word of God. Don't add. If any, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Don't add, don't subtract. Don't do your math with the word of God. Leave it as it is. Okay? Be careful. Why do I say that? Because that is exactly where man fell. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Read it again, because this is God's word. This is right from his mouth to Adam. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Now go to 3 and verse 1. Let me have my pointer. Yeah. Now the serpent was... More cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Listen carefully. What did he do first? First he took the word Lord out. God and Lord God are two different concepts altogether. 
the Lord God. What did he say? Look, God. Second, he said, has indeed God said. There's a difference between a command and a saying. And this is where all our problems lie. Our problems is basically with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not that he is God. And we take his commands as sayings. Where Adam fell is where we all fall every day. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. The devil is using the same trick for the past 6,000 years and people keep falling for it. All of us, you and me, all of us included, keep falling for it over and over and over again. The Lord God has commanded. When salvation begins, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, when Peter stands before that crowd on the day of Pentecost, what does he say? Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. First statement about salvation. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Lordship. And that we struggle with Lordship. We have no issues with God. God is God. But let God become Lord. Then it is not a saying. It is a command. God doesn't just say. He commands. And we ignore it at our own peril. Romans 10 and verse 9. The statement about salvation. The, the uh, verse. If you confess with your mouth. The Lord Jesus. Not the God Jesus. The Lord. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Does he have increasing lordship over our life? Lordship? Parmeshwar? Or Prabhu? Prabhu Parmeshwar. We take Prabhu off. Prabhu off. See, when you take the Lord of God, then all we have is Sayings, sayings of Buddha, sayings of Mahavir, sayings of Jesus. Up to you, pick and choose. Optional. That's not what the Bible says. The Lord God commanded. Lord God commanded. Second Corinthians 3.17, the words we've been looking at. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty. Where do you get liberty? Where do you experience liberty? Liberty has got nothing to do with your situation. Liberty has to do with, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And how do you experience it? You experience by allowing the Lordship of the Holy Spirit in your life. He has been sent to be in us and with us. Do you listen to him? Do you obey him? And God says, it doesn't matter what your situation is. You will be free. You will be free. Freedom has got to do with lordship. Look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Satan is coming with both barrels. He's attacking him. The devil himself, not some small demon. Matthew 4. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt. Why? Why was he not able to get over Jesus? Because Jesus had established the lordship of his father in his life. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And verse 10, Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, 
you shall worship the Lord your God and only and him only you shall serve. You know why he won? And because and we can win, it's when we establish the Lordship of God in our lives. Jesus said, I didn't do anything more than you can do. He said, I had the same word which you have. We have more than he had. He, we have 27 books extra. He says, all you need is the same word. But you need to establish the lordship of God in our life. Lordship demands obedience. It demands obedience. In Matthew 7 and verse 21, I didn't give it over there. Jesus said, many will come to me and say that, Lord, Lord. What does Jesus say over here? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It should not be just mouth, Lord, Lord, and then go do your own thing. He says, no, you have to obey the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You have to do my Father's will. And that's how you enter into the kingdom of God. And even now, you will see the kingdom of God is in us, One day we will physically enter into the kingdom of God. But that experience is experienced today in us. We have the liberty inside. I will tell you honestly, young people, I will honestly tell you. Go read the book of Philippians. It's an unbelievable picture of a man lying in jail in chains and the liberty he has. Unbelievable liberty. The words he speaks to us. Unbelievable. You would, if a man who does not know the Bible, reads the book of Philippians, he will think, this man is a prince. Would never know he is a prisoner. The liberty of the spirit. Liberty of the spirit. And all of them who wrote scripture, experienced that liberty, because when they begin writing, Paul will say, I, Paul, the bond servant of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, the lordship of Jesus Christ. James will say, I, James, the servant of Jesus Christ. Jude will say, I, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. All of them accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. So it didn't matter whether they were in prison or they were executed. They went in freedom, in liberty. And there's no other way to liberty. Either you are a slave of God or you are a slave of the devil. But when God's slaves are free, God's slaves are free. They have peace. They have joy. But devil slaves are tormented. They have no peace. They have no peace. They worry. They are anxious. The richest man in the world is also anxious. Tell him if he's not anxious, you're going to die tomorrow. See his reaction. What will his wealth do? Nothing. Tell a child of God, a servant of God who walks in liberty, you're going to die tomorrow. He says, hallelujah, I'm going home to my daddy's home. I'm just waiting for that day because I know he's prepared stuff for me. I have no idea, but I am excited. I am excited. Telling you. So the first stage, death has many stages, like cancer has many stages. Right? So that's why we get excited when we see somebody with terminal cancer from that stage comes back. Okay? Comes back. In the same way, death, as God speaks to us, has many stages. The first stage of death is separation from the person of God. First stage of death is separation. We are spiritually cut off. It's gone. It's gone. 
you're on your own. Okay? Now, all the mothers who had their babies over here, the baby was fine in the womb. Baby didn't have to worry about anything. It don't have to open its mouth, feed, nothing. There was an umbilical cord connected to the baby. And all the baby needed came from the mother. And then the baby was born. And when born, the first thing they do is that, off. Now, the baby has to take care of itself. Of course, parents are there. Now it has to open its mouth and feed. The day man sinned, umbilical cord was cut. You're separated from God. Now you are on your own. He didn't die physically for almost a thousand years, but he was spiritually separated from God. That's the first stage of death. Death is separation. It's separation. Okay. Let us let me explain to you in case uh, which you will understand. A marriage is where two people come together. But when there is conflict in the marriage, which ultimately ends up in the divorce court, and the divorce is granted, the marriage is dead. But before divorce happens, which is the death of the marriage, what happens is called separation. You know what the court judge says? You need to be separated for a year. In the meantime, go for counseling. And when everything else fails, he grants divorce, which is death of that marriage. They are no longer husband and wife. They are two separate individuals. So before death, there is separation. The physical death. First stage is separation. Okay? It's separation. The second stage of death is also separation. What is that? When your soul leaves your body. The body goes to the dirt and your soul leaves wherever it goes, depending upon the choices you made. And the final stage of separation is in Revelation 20. He will take death, Hades, Satan, all whose names were not in the book of life, and they will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. That is the final separation. So death has three stages. Okay? Three stages. Know that. Three stages. So we know in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, the Bible says, Our sins have separated. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Okay? When Adam sinned, he was separated from God. That, that connection went. He was separated from God. And when David talks about in Psalm 51 and verse 5, when he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my in sin my father conceived me. What does it mean? It means children are born into this world separated from God. They're separated from God. Children are born separated from God. In sin, separated from God. Okay. Adam's sin flows separated from God. And what is that we have? Turn now to 1 Corinthians 7, 14. Okay? For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. What does the word sanctified mean? It means separated unto God. Yesterday we looked at separated from is stage 1. Separated unto is stage 2. Okay? The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. What does holy mean? Separated. So what does it mean? Are they saved? No. I mean, you honestly think about it. We have in our church too. Okay, We have our sister too over here. Think about that. The sister is saved. Husband is not saved. 
you know what if she is not saved her husband has no access to god but because she is saved you know what she does she takes her husband's needs every day to god so he has access without realizing the benefits of it to the throne room of grace through his wife though he is separated because she belongs to god she takes him to the god's presence and many unbelieving husbands are like that they will tell their wife pray for me pray for me pray for me pray, pray to your god that's what it means in the same way our children the little ones sitting all over there none of them are saved but the parents take their children to god every day and one day they will come here and dedicate their baby to the lord why because the parents know the lord therefore their children are separated unto god that doesn't mean they are saved so there are benefits of having a belief now that is not uh, that this is not uh cue to go and get married no we need to save all these unsaved men and unsaved women we shall go marry them that's not what it means okay that is not what it means what it means is that in in many families many what happens is you get saved after you are married then what do you do okay so understand so please understand separation is a first stage is a first stage we saw that yesterday okay separation understand in itself is neutral you can be separated unto god or you can be separated unto the devil devil doesn't come and tell you you are separated unto me you get separated to the world and the ways of the world okay ezekiel 18:4 says behold all souls are mine the soul of the father as was the soul of the son is mine the soul who sins shall die okay shall be separated and we all know it the minute you sin you know there is a problem and until you repent connection doesn't come back okay we know it okay let's go now to james 150 when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. what is it talking about here it's talking about separation from god miserable people are miserable people are who believers who are separated from god are miserable people they have tasted the goodness of god and their pride doesn't allow them to repent that's what i said pride is one of the biggest stumbling block it is not that they don't know how they need to repent they will not humble themselves they will not humble them they will not go to god because all these uh, believers who sinned and are separated know the word very well the ones who don't know that word very well will repent quickly and come back they are like children but those who know they very well will not go to god because if you go to god they will know god will say go to man the one you sinned against therefore they will not go to god they know the scripture very well The ones who do not know their scripture are like little children you whack them they will run towards you not away from you so be very careful these are the tactics don't let pride pull you down to hell it's not worth it 
That's why God says, humble yourself before God, submit to God, and resist the devil. No? Resist the devil. Look at the pictures you are seeing, and you are horrified. Hell is, that is nothing compared to hell. <laughs> Look at the pictures. Look at what religion has done. Look at what religion has done. Is this what it is, religion? Look what religion does. What peace do you have? What hope do you have in religion? Any religion. Genesis 2.25 What sin does? What separation does? If you look at what happened in Genesis chapter 3, you will know what happens in our life. That is why the first book of the Bible is called Genesis, meaning the beginning. If you know what happened to our first father and mother, the same thing in different formats. Okay, You can change the format, Excel you want, PDF you want, your Word document you want. It doesn't matter. But the issue is the same. Format has already changed. They were both naked, man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. What does it spiritually mean? It means there was transparency. They had nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. There was nothing hidden among them. They were one, spiritually. They had no secrets from each other. They didn't hide anything from each other. They had such a transparent, loving walk together and with God. Now look what happens. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God and among the trees of the garden. Okay, If you know what they did, what happened to them is what happens to us. Same thing. It's interesting. There are only two humans. It's no third person. It's only two humans. No third person. But you know what? They're still covering from each other. That is what sin does. How many people are there you know, in your marriage? Only two. Don't you still cover from each other? We're not talking about clothes. We're talking about issues. Only two people. There's no third person there. There's no third person there. They still keep things. There's no transparency there. You ask any man or woman sitting in this church, they will lie straight to your face saying everything is okay. If you want, I can put you in a fix. I can ask every man in this church saying, does your wife know about your finances? And ask the woman the same thing. Does your man know about your finances? There is no transparency in finances. There is no transparency in anything because you cannot serve God and mammon together. You cannot. If you cannot be accountable about your money because you eat the same food bought with the same money. You buy clothes bought with the money. You pay the fees, the rent, everything with the money but you will not be transparent and open about that money, you know what? You have already started covering up. Started covering up. Be careful. Understand what these things mean practically in life. Practically in life. So you know what? If both of you know this is how much we have and this is how much we are going to spend and this is how we are going to... There is... They are naked 
and not ashamed. There is accountability, there is peace, there is budgeting, and there is enough. That's how it should be run. All young unmarried ones, men and girls, okay? That's how it should be run. They're covering from each other. And then, they hear the sound of God. And what's the first thing they do? They run and hide from God. The previous day, they must have run towards God. This day, they are running from God. Maybe as parents, we always know, when, especially when the children are small. When the bell rings, that is the one, the first one to run to the door. But let him or her have done some mischief in the house, that fellow is not to be seen at all. And the first thing we ask is, what did he do? It's not to be seen. So we, our children did not learn it from somebody, they learned it from Adam. The previous day they were running towards God. Now they are running from God. Okay? Now go to Genesis 1 and verse 12. Okay, we have it. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind. And the tree that yields fruit whose seed in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now go to 3, 7 and 8. The eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. What did they use to cover themselves? Something which God had made and God had proclaimed. Good. What do you use to cover our our attitudes? With good works, not with bad works. We cover ourselves from each other with the same thing which God created and said it is good. Nobody covers themselves with evil works. Everybody covers themselves with good works, but still there is no transparency and there is still no unity. It is the good that God created that we use to cover ourselves. Church is a very good place where people hide. It's a good place. Prayer is a good place. Fasting is a good thing. Social active works is a very good thing. But the question is not how many people you are feeding. The question is, is God speaking to you? The question is not how many people you have brought up. Are you speaking to your spouse? We use the very things God created and proclaimed good. Who created the leaves? God did. What did he say? Good. What did they do that? To cover one from the other. We use our good. Standard reply of men. When their wife says, you don't spend time with me, you are not interested, don't I provide. They are hiding under provision, which is good. It's not bad. Man never says, I am drunk, so I am not, I don't have time for it. He never says that. Nobody hides under those things. Everybody hides under good things. Every excuse you make for a relational fall is good. You hide, use the leaves which God created and proclaimed good to cover yourself. What are they hiding from God? Behind the trees which God created. We hide under fasting. I'm fasting for seven days. For what? Did you repent? 
All you have to do is repent. You don't have to fast for seven days. No, I am going to fast. It's either my way or the highway, not your way. 40 day fast, 70 day fast. All that is good if you are hearing from God. If you see, nothing in life can substitute repentance. Nothing. I am sorry. That's all Adam and Eve had to say. They will not say that in the entire Genesis chapter 3, you don't have a record of either Adam or Eve saying, we were wrong, you were right. No, no record. No record. The prodigal son did not have to fast. He did not have to pray. He did not have to do any spiritual thing. All he had to tell his father was that I am wrong. And father said, come back. That's all. He didn't even allow him to speak the whole sentence. Because he knew as he was coming, he had repented. That's our problem. This is how the devil sets us up. Devil causes us to hide behind good things. And because it is good, we think we are safe. We are saved. Go home and read Isaiah 58. What God has to say about fasting and prayer. Or Isaiah 1 about our offerings and sacrifices. It extends to my nostrils. Okay, We all went that route. Maybe still going that route. God says, it will not work. It will not work. So we hide behind good things, not bad things. Isaiah 64, 6. Now you will understand what God says. We are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. What is the righteousness? Good works. The good things. All our righteousness are like filthy rags before God. God says, you know what, you're using your righteousness to cover yourself from one another. When you should have been transparent and unashamed, you use your righteousness to cover from one another and use your righteousness to hide from me. You know what God does? God wants truth. That's what David understands. David can't do one thing. Bethsheba is married to him. Uriah is dead. He's messed it all up. There is nothing he can do. In Psalm 51, you know what he says? You choose, you look for what? Truth in inward parts. You know God, what was the problem? The problem was inside here, there was no truth. I was not transparent with you. The day I was transparent, things started falling into place. Truth in inward parts. Understand, these things matter. Hebrews 6.1 so when Hebrews 6, 1 puts through the writer of Hebrews how salvation begins, it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Repentance from what? Dead works. What are these dead works? Are all the works bad? No. Most of the works are good. But these are works done by a man or a woman who is actually separated from God. So you are in stage one of cancer. And all your works are dead. It's tainted by you. Separated from God. Repent from those dead works. He's not saying repent from evil works. That every religion says repent from evil works. Only Christianity says repent from all works. Stop it. 
I don't want your good works. I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your offering. I don't want anything from you, God says. What do I want? I want truth in your inward parts. Repent and come back to me first. Then I will tell you what to do, what is acceptable to me. That is why he took the term Lord out. God is in him. The gods of this world will accept any sacrifice, not Lord God of Israel. He will not. He will only accept one sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of his son on the cross. And if you and I have to go back to him, we have to go through that way and no other way. No other way. And it's a humbling. Because if you have to go through Jesus, you have to admit you are wrong. I need your help. Religion is saying, I don't need your help. I can make it my way. You can make it my way. It doesn't work. That's our problem. So what happens? We all become default hypocrites. Do you know religion is all hypocrisy? Religion is hypocrisy. It's all drama. Religion is drama. It doesn't matter which religion it is. Even if it's Christianity. If you do not have truth in your inward parts, let me ask you how we, how dramatic we are. Pick any one of us here. Let me put myself. I had no peace with God. I did not repent. I sinned against God. Let us say I sinned against my wife and I have no peace with God. And here when Peter is saying, hallelujah, drama. What is that called? Drama. God says there is no truth in your inward parts. No truth in your inward parts. I lift you up. God says, really? You are lifting yourself up. All religion is drama. And I still remember one of the most classic cases I've ever read was the situation about two particular people from a particular religion. Okay, Both from the same religion. One fellow is chasing the other fellow to kill him. He's got this big knife in his hands, chasing through the streets. To kill him. Other fellow is running for the life. This fellow is coming. At that time from the place of worship, the prayer call goes. You know the prayer call goes. At that point, this fellow stops. Finish. He gets up. That is called drama. We are not any better. We can say they do not know the living God. What about us who claim that's why God's indictment is always against Israel. The whole Old Testament, he's not indicting the Gentiles. He's indicting Israel. He says, you know me. I have revealed myself to you through the prophets, through the laws, the commandments, what kind of a God you are. And you know what you do? It's always drama. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 23. To whom he says. Okay, I'll just read a few verses. 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on inside are full of dead men's bones and things unclean. Isn't that a 
one of is looking so beautiful outside. Do you think God looks at the outside? No. He looks, but first he looks inside. That's what he told through Samuel at Jesse's house. Don't look at those men. I've discarded them. Because they're looking really good outside. And Samuel said, truly the anointed of the Lord. God said, no. God looks at the inside and not at the... It doesn't mean God does not look at the outside. But first he looks at the inside. And the inside will ultimately show on the outside. You know why our outside doesn't change? Because we have no conviction inside. We don't have conviction inside. Therefore, we don't have... Our outside doesn't change. And those who are outsides have been constant, they have no conviction inside because they are under the law. The law only touches the outside, never touches the inside. So because your outside is good, don't think your inside is good. Because the law will always clean. Look at happening in, in Afghanistan. That is outside. Out, inside, murder, rape, and butchering of people. And all the young girls are being kidnapped and not kidnapped, forcibly be taken and being sold for the warriors. Okay. Need to understand what is happening. Okay. What religion does. The outside alone, untouched, all okay, inside is top, totally untouched. And God says, you know what? You know what we become? We become hypocrites. And the devil is very, very happy because he is the number one hypocrite. He dresses himself as a preacher of righteousness, an angel of light and comes and deceives man. So he is a hypocrite. So he is happy with hypocrites. He is comfortable with hypocrites. But God is not a hypocrite. God never lies. He will always tell the truth. We need to realize where our problems lie. So the first sin judged in the old, in the new covenant, the first sin in the church, was the sin of hypocrisy. Pretending to be something that you are not. Who was that? Ananias and Sapphira. Because the money was yours. Why did you bring it? You could have kept it. But you, you know what you did? You sold your land, put half the money there, brought the half here, pretending to be a great generous giver. God says, I don't want your pretension. And they died. And whom did God judge them through? It is through the apostle Peter, God judged hypocrisy, started in the Garden of Eden, in the New Covenant Church, and two people fell dead, Ananias and Sapphira. Now fast forward a few years later, look at Galatians 2. What can happen to any one of us? And when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from James, he would not eat with the Gentiles. He would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Bunch of hypocrites, starting with the top apostle. One day earlier, God had judged hypocrisy through him. Today, he is a hypocrite. So understand, we are all fallible to this sin. God, our heart. We don't want to pretend this is who I am. This is who I am. This is who we are. Both Peter and James are there in that letter. <laughs> 
Okay. The worship leader and the preacher both are there. You see how, how, how we pretend? No. And believers are very good. I will tell you how good we have. We have a special language when we are together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hi brother. How are you sister? You go to the world, the language goes completely. We have another language completely over there. Hi. How are you? Macha. Suddenly language changes. That is where it all started because Greek drama was like that. They had masks with handles, with expressions. So according to the expression, they put the mask. Angry, angry mask. Sad, sad mask. So they were called hypocrites. And that's what we are. That is who you are. And this is what we are. True hypocrites. <laughs> you are true? We are true hypocrites. <laughs> Look at this. If Peter can fall, Barnabas who mentored Paul can fall. The young man. You see, one good thing about Paul, when he was a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee. He was not a hypocrite. When he became a follower of Christ, he was a follower of Christ. He was never in between. That's why he says, according to the law, blameless. I went after the Christians with all my zeal. And when I became a believer, a Christian, I went after the Jews to convert them with all my zeal. I was never in between. He did not know this in between. He was always sold out. Okay. And we have to learn from him. He's a young person standing before much, much older servants of God. And he says, you know what? This is hypocrisy. And what happens? Fellowship is broken. You know what happens? Fellowship is broken in the church. Now we have Jewish Christians and Gentiles Christians during the meal time eating separately. Can you think about it? Can you think about it? Eating separately. They are not fellowshipping. Where the church has ended up and through Peter? Pretense. So fellowship is broken. Genesis 2.18 One of the first things God says about man before the fall. The Lord said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. What are the first command of, let us say in this context, marriage? What is that? Fellowship. What is the first thing about a community? It is fellowship. This fellowship. Okay? That's why doctrine is put right at the top so that we know what God is like. And the second thing put over there is fellowship. Fellowship is not talking. Fellowship is learning to live together as a community in transparency without hiding anything. And doesn't mean you need to tell all your personal things to somebody else. But there should be no secrets between husband and wife. That doesn't also mean you need to tell her everything because some of the things are boring. She wouldn't want to hear. But you know Usually what happens is men tell their wives everything they don't want to hear. And what they need to hear, need to hear, they will not tell them. So it's a pretense going in homes, a drama. Hi honey, how are you? But deep inside you know honey doesn't know more anything about the money. 
There, God did not say you are two. He said you are one. Decision making is a different thing. I am not talking about decision making here. I am talking about transparency. Because if there is that transparency and you are one, you don't hide anything, you know what? Your burdens are lifted. If two of you are able to agree on anything on earth, it shall be done in heaven. You know the power of prayer? And you know why prayers are not answered? Because when you are praying and say, Lord, we agree, God says, yeah, you really agree. You haven't told her half the things and she hasn't told you half the things and you want me to agree with you. Like I said, 99% of the problems we face individually in life can be solved within the four walls of a home because there is enormous power in one. And most of the problems which Peter faces, Avinash faces, can be solved by the power of one. I look for one person to stand in the gap. If one person can stop the judgment of God upon a nation, can that one person stand and solve his own problems with God? So that he is free to serve others? That's the purpose. And if two of you can agree on anything on earth, it shall be done in heaven. Can't most of the situations in a family be solved between the husband and wife when they come together with God? And God says, done. So that you are free to serve. That's the purpose. Free to serve others. God is an excellent steward of his resources. Do you know what his resources is? He's human beings. Human beings are his resources. The spirit is unlimited. To anybody who wants, he gives the spirit unlimited. His resources are human beings. And when he looks at human beings, he says, you know what? What a waste of resources. Simply because they will not reconcile. They will not reconcile. That's how we have to look at the word of God. Otherwise we will realize, we will not understand what was the trap. Fellowship is the first thing mentioned over there. And in John chapter 4 and verse 23 to the Samaritan woman, this is what Jesus says. The hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now don't take this term worship and rest it to the first 20 or 30 minutes of our worship service. No, worship is our fellowship with God. Worship is our fellowship with God. God is God. is Lord God. So our fellowship with God is not like our fellowship with one another. Because there is love, yes, but there is reverence there. And God says God is looking for true worshippers. Who? Who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The spirit will tell you what is true in us and what is not true in us. And as you walk in truth, we have the liberty to walk with God. And talk to God. Always reverential. Because of who he is. It does not matter. Even the king's own son, when he talks to the king, he calls him majesty. That's how it is. Protocol. That's how it is. Private settings, it may be different. Public settings is always your majesty. He doesn't call his father daddy. If he's old enough. He doesn't call. Protocol is he calls his father his majesty because the king is his majesty. His also majesty. So that's what he's talking about. Our interaction with God is called worship. So God is looking for worship. Man is looking for fellowship. And the devil hates it. So what does he want? He wants to cause separation so that our fellowship is disrupted. And he wants to steal the worship from God unto him. What does it do? It breaks down. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. That we should no longer be children 
tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ. What is he talking about? He says, you know what? Lies disrupt fellowship. While when you speak the truth in love, we start growing up together to the fullness of Christ. We have to speak. Fellowship is speaking. We have to speak. We live as a community. We live as families. But there is to be love and there has to be truth. Not love without truth and not truth without love. Both are destructive. If we have truth without love, it will destroy you. If we have love without truth, it will destroy you. Both are not true. They go together. God is love, God is truth. And that's what the word of God says. Genesis 3, 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking. So how close was their fellowship with God till then? They heard the sound of his feet. And they recognized it is, it's not lion. It's not hati. It is not Balu. It's not the crocodile. It is daddy. Dad has come. It's daddy's footstep. Children are very perceptive. Very perceptive. They can make out the sound of their father's two-wheeler separate from all the other two-wheelers. The ears are very perceptive. That's daddy. Daddy's come. And that's what Adam and Eve was. Adam and Eve was. I was telling the Nepali congregation. I sit on the other side. And the other side is the office. And I know Sammy has come. Why? I know the Omini sound. I know Peter has come. I know 4211. I know when that active work comes. I know that sound. I know Pastor Vijay has come. I know the Nano's name. And I hear that peep, peep. I know Richie has come. Dr. Richard, I don't know because he walks and comes. <laughs> so I have to see him. You know? I know the sounds. I know each one has. I don't have to go onto the app and check the camera. I know these ones have reached because I know the sound of each vehicle. Why? Because I've been there for years listening to these sounds. Right? That doesn't mean I know the sound of all your vehicles. I don't know. <laughs> These three I know. Because it's constant every day of the week. Every day of the week. They heard the sound of his footsteps. They recognized him by the sound of his footsteps. So how closely did they walk with him? In the garden probably there are hundreds of other creatures. All of them are walking. But they are able to distinguish this sound from the rest. And they know God has come. Fellowship is disrupted. It's gone. Can we, can we, can we understand the sound of the Holy Spirit? It's a whisper, a gentle whisper, which you can only discern with your spirit to your spirit. Gentle whisper. Can you discern? The thunder, the wind, the fire, everything. Elijah didn't come out. When he heard the whisper, he came out because he was very familiar with the whisper. This is the whisper which I told him, go stand before King Ahab and tell him, until my word comes from you, no dew, no rain. He obeyed that whisper. And then as soon as he finished saying, he heard the whisper, turn eastwards and go to Cherith. I have commanded ravens to feed you. And then he had been there for a long time. He heard a whisper, arise, go to Zarephath. He knew that whisper. Do we know? By now we should be learning to know the whisper of our Father, the Holy Spirit, who birthed us in Christ, our Father's voice. Because in these last days of all days, 
all those who have ears, let them hear voice of the Spirit. Which way to turn? Which way to hide? Which way to run? Where to stand? Where to sit? We need to hear His voice. And they had knew His voice very well. Verse 9, God asked a question. The Lord God called out to Adam and said to him, Where are you? When God asks questions, God asks questions. He's not seeking information. He knows everything. Even before you ask, I know what you're asking for. He's asking us whether we know where we are. He's asking us so that we would examine ourselves. Why is fellowship broken? Why is that you cannot hear my voice? Why is that when you read the word, it is just Greek and Latin? Nothing makes any sense to you. You put it away. Why is that your ears are tuned so much to the voices and the sounds and the pictures of the world, but your ears are dull to my voice? Where are you? Under behind what are you hiding? He's not accusing. He's not accusing. God doesn't come to condemn. He comes to convict, to save. That's a question he's asking. He doesn't ask Eve. He know it is Eve who took. He asked Adam. You know why? The woman may be the one who did it, but man is the one who is responsible. If you have doubts, if I'm right, go back home and read Numbers 32. It's an incredible chapter. The spirit of the law. You know what it says? If a daughter makes a vow and a father hears her and says nothing, then he's responsible for her vow. But on the other hand, she makes a vow and he says no, then her vow makes nothing. If a wife says something and a husband says nothing, he's responsible for that. But on the other hand, if she says something and the husband says no, he's not responsible for that. So you may be a wife or a daughter sitting here. Be very careful of what you say and what you do because God will call your father or your husband accountable because that is his law. That is why Christ came and died for the church because he is responsible. Though the church is the sinner and he is pure, he says, I am responsible. Understand these principles in the word of God. It's number 32, right? Yeah, it's number 32. I don't want to give you a wrong reference. That is my concordance. Eat the kata verse. Understand, these things we have to understand. And this is for our protection. Girls sitting over here, one side. Men sitting over here, another side, you know. Your wife may have made a goofed up. Made a terrible decision. Sit and together and be responsible. It's your problem, not mine. Not mine, no. It's your problem, not mine, no. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. So God calls man. Where are you? Did you see over there? What happened to the lies of the enemy? Entire relational breakdown in the garden. Man to man, man to God. Man to God and man to man completely broke down. You know what? With one bite, Adam and Eve have broken the law and the prophets completely. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Completely gone with one action. Relations are broken down. What did Jesus say? The entire law and the prophets hang on these two things. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now what are they doing? Hiding from God and hiding from each other. It's gone. 
And this is where it happens. This is how the enemy is so cunning. That's why it says, put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand the wiles of the enemy. We are not getting into what the devil told and all. We are looking at the effects of what the devil did. And the effects it's being played out even in our lives. And Jesus has come. He is the truth. The atonement has been done. And now he comes with the truth. He gives us his word. He gives us spirit. And he says, walk before me, transparent. Walk with one another, transparent. Transparent. Breakdown. Verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You know what has happened? Now, relationship breakdown has gone into an emotional breakdown. From this stage, man becomes a slave of his emotions. Fear, shame, everything starts taking over. Till then, no. He, he did not walk by his fear. No, was he walking by his uh, reason. He was walking with God by being led by God. His conscience was completely different. Now, emotions have become the master. Why did you run? Because I was afraid. Why did you hide? Because I was naked. Shame has come in. Fear has come in. You know what? That's what happens in relationships. Shame comes. Fear comes. Fear comes in here. Fear. Now go to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. I didn't give it over there. Just to tell, because we have lots of young parents over here. 21 and verse 8. The fearful. Okay, if you put NIV, it will say the fearful, the cowardly, and the last. Where are the last? The liars. Fearful and the liars. Do you know why it's put over there? This is the nut that locks it. Do you know why they became faithless? Because they could not break out of the lie. Do you know why they became detestable? Because they could not break out of the lie. Do you know why they became murderers? Because they never could come out of the lie. Do you know why they became sexually immoral? Because they could never break out of it because of the lie that holding them together. Do you know became their sorcerers and idolaters and all? Why? Because the lie locked them in. That's why one of the things we tell parents is, you know what? You should not terrify your children because their natural impulse is to lie if you fear, deal with them in fear. Gain their confidence. Punishment is there. I'm not talking about that. Gain their confidence. Otherwise they will lie to their teeth because they are more afraid of the punishment than of telling you the truth. Fear will cause children to lie. Second thing, don't be a nosy parker. You know what that means in the church? You don't want to know other people's things. You know what? You will cause them to lie. Because they don't want to tell you what is happening in their life. And the Bible talks about that, about women. Don't be busybodies. Because you push them, you know, I, I had this dream that you are going through a tough time. I have this heavy burden for you. Tell me what is happening. I know something is happening. Tell me what is happening. Poor fellow or woman blurts it out. And before you know, it's gone half around the town. Or they will not tell, no, everything is okay. When things are terrible, everything is okay. Why are they lying? Because you're causing them to lie. 
We need to understand what pressure does, what fear does. Fear caused Adam and Eve to hide from each other. Fear caused Adam to hide from God. So we should have an atmosphere in our homes, in our communities, where there is no fear. The fear is for the lawless. It is connected with punishment. And parents, young parents, have to be careful how you deal with your children, especially the mothers. Gain the confidence of your children that they will talk. It's in the mother's hands. That's why the Bible says the wise woman builds the house. The children should always have the freedom to come and say, yes, dad will be tough, mom will be tough, but you are loved through it all. You don't have to have a, a satanic fear. The fear you should have is a godly fear. The cringing. Because the problem is, if the child is telling the truth only because the child thinks it will get beaten, age will come when you cannot beat them. So now punishment is not going to change their behavior. They are already consummate liars. The age of punishment is over. It's not going to work. Understand that. That's how it happens. That's why the Bible says the fear of the Lord is pure and clean. That's a different kind of a fear. It's got nothing to do with punishment. It's got nothing to do with punishment. If it has got to do with punishment, how can David say, uh, the, God said you have sinned against me, I give you three choices, what do you want? Let me fall in your hands. <laughs> Let me fall in your hands. Because the fear of God is pure, it is clean. He's not talking about that, that kind of cringing kind of fear. Okay. What happens when the child grows where you cannot punish it anymore, discipline it anymore? What happens? It's not going to work. So you have to learn from all these things. Go to Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and go to Revelation 21 and 22. Everything is there, the beginning and the end. Who will end where? And how do they end there? And God is teaching us these things. And we need to be very, very wise about these things. Very, very wise. God doesn't put pressure. Did God come and say, Adam, come here. Eve, come here. I know you ate. He didn't say anything. He said, what did you do? Where are you? Where are you? You come home. You ring the bell. Little fellow is not there. You go searching for him. Where are you? Carry him and ask him. Why are you hiding today? What did you do? You want to tell me? Or do you mind to ask mama? That's what God did. You want to tell me? You want to tell me? I know what you did. You want to tell me? We learn fatherhood from the father. You want to tell me? Where are you? That's if God doesn't know. <laughs> Second question, what have you done? As if God doesn't know. <laughs> God knows. God knows everything. So why is he asking all of us, where are we? So that we will know. What does he ask us, what you have done? So that we will own up and be honest and transparent with him. The extent God goes to send Nathan with the story and all. For what? To get David say what he has done, which God knows everything. Just to get his, open his mouth and acknowledge, I did this. 
to the extent God goes. Are you getting pictures in the Bible? Fear is introduced, shame is introduced. So you see all this causes separation from one another. In verse 11 and 12, the blame game begins, the marital conflict. You are responsible. Who told you? Woman said, the man said, the woman you gave. Put it on. The blame game. Goes all the way to Isaiah 58 and verse 9. What does God say? Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wicked. Now, would you take that finger off, please, Adam? Put it down. Could you put that? The woman you gave. I'm, I'm, I'm nice. You both are responsible for this fault. Oh, we say it in nice, nice, different, different ways. Before I was married, things were so good. Really? Really? My life was so much at peace. Really? Same thing. Adam said it. You just changed the vocabulary here and there. Added a few things, subtracted a few. It's the same story all over again. Over and over again. I wish I had married that first proposal. Really? God knows where you would have ended up with that. The pointing finger. It started in the garden. You see, God is going out of the way to give man a chance. Would he just take responsibility? I'm not come here to punish you. I've come here to restore you. But if you won't own up, you don't change, then I will have to do certain things. Verse 16, marital breakdown begins. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Let's split it into two and put this first. And this second, because first is husband and wife and then is children. What is he saying there? Your desire shall be for your husband. And it's, oh, my desire is for you. No. That's not what it means. The desire is the same desire. We have heard it a thousand times, which is told in Genesis chapter 4. Why are you angry? Why are your face fallen? Sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. You know what the desire is? That is control. Are you a controlling wife? A domineering mother? Are you a hus- abusive husband? Violent? Physically? Verbally? Started there. Your desire shall be to control your husband and his desire will be to rule over you. The battle of the sexes have started right there in the garden. So the question is, if you are living like that, you are still living under the curse. You are not at liberty. You're operating under a curse. This is a curse set free by Jesus Christ on the cross. He became a curse for us. And he gave us the promise of Abraham. The spirit of God within us is the spirit of liberty. If the spirit is Lord, you have liberty. Are you a dominating woman? Are you a domineering wife? Are you an abusive man? 
you are under a curse. It's all there. You don't have to look further than Genesis 3. Everything's origin is there. Every problem you face in your home is there. We think our problem is money and supplies. God says, no, I promised you I will take care of you. Your problems are spiritual. Your problems are not material. Your problems are all spiritual. If you put the spirit right, everything will flow. You are trying to put everything right, but the spirit is messed up. And nothing seems to work. The amount of money you have, nothing seems to work. You get race after race after race, there is still no peace in the house. You buy gadget after gadget, you have no peace, no time. He says, you know why? Because something wrong deep within. Once that is put right, everything will fall into place. He says, look at my son, how he walked on earth. Look at my servant, Paul, how he walked for earth for years and years till he was executed. They were free men and they had nothing. Nothing. So liberty doesn't lie outside. Liberty dies inside. And we have to look at those things. And all you young ones sitting over here, men sitting over here, girls sitting over here, learn. You know what, Lord? I don't want to be under that curse. So men, Jesus says, Matthew 11 and verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You can be firm. You don't have to be violent. You don't have to be violent. You can be firm. Men have to be firm. Men is the head. That's God's order. Is the head. But be gentle. That's what the word of God says. Be lowly in heart. Because at the end of the day, you both are equal. And eternity begins, you are equal. Each will, some women will get more than men. Crowns and rewards and power and authority. There's no male or female when it comes to inheritance. Nothing over there. So you are equal. But position has been arranged by God. And how you exercise that position, it's, it's very interesting. If you go to a local police station or something and all, you see these constables and they have a ban over the rude and big pot belly. They're rude and they use terrible language and all. I will think all cops are like that, right? You go up and meet an IPS officer. They are so polite. And you would think this man has so much power, he should be worse than this. It's the other way around. The only ones who are rude are the ones who are elected. Because they didn't come up the proper way. We are not talking about that power. I'm talking about really trained people. You will meet many of the IS officers and IPS. Not all of them. Some of them you meet. Unbelievably humble, unbelievably gentle, very soft-spoken, yet they wield authority. God is talking about that. You have the authority. You are the head of the house. I said it. But you are a head under me. And this is who I am. The head of man, every man is Christ. Now who is Christ? Meek and lowly. What is every woman under that man? First Peter 3, 4. Rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Think about two gentle people in the house. Each one is waiting who will fight first. Therefore there is no fight. That's what God is. You think Jesus and the bride, the church is going to fight in heaven? No. Why? Both are gentle. She goes wherever he goes. That's what the Bible says. They follow him wherever he goes. He leads. Learn to follow men, God, women. They're godly men. 
you see it's all there marital breakdown has begun it has begun let's go back to that verse genesis 3 yeah that one which i gave you and then let's go after marriage now the children have come to the woman he said i will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain you shall bring forth children let me tell you that anesthesia you take will only help you for a few hours after that the pain will come back there is no escaping this there is no escaping this you will bear your children in pain why because of what happened in the garden you took god's command as a saying okay but what does it really mean it's not talking about childbirth positionally yes one but it's more than that go to first timothy chapter 2 verses i do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man but to be in silence for adam was formed first then eve in verse 14 Adam was not deceived the woman being deceived fell into transgression nevertheless she will be saved you know what this word saved means means sanctified not her salvation in the terms of from repentance to born again her sanctification in childbearing if they continue in faith love and holiness with self control he says if you continue in this you will pray your children through they will give you so much trouble you will be sanctified your salvation your sanctification is directly connected to your home how your children grow up and you will realize what god goes through every day trying to handle us you will realize you know what child bearing is easy child rearing is not you really want to grow in faith love and holiness you know what the instruments god will go use in your house to cause you to grow in faith in love and holiness your children they will bring you down to your knees where you will have no choice but to pray and cry out to god and in the process you get sanctified problem solution that is why we say ideally we say ideally it's between the husband and wife and god ideally we say a woman should not go out to work because if you do your house will fall apart children may be career wise successful but spiritually dead you're not talking about career here you have to put kingdom first ideally but it's between you it's not a law it's between you and your husband fast pray ask the lord tighten the resources tighten the belt whatever you you need to do all that and put a premium on the soul of your child and not the career of your child verse 17 and 18 now we shall shift to the men then adam to adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which i commanded you saying you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake in toil you shall eat and all the days of your life both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field what is that your workspace is cursed all of you have trouble in your workplace well welcome Adam welcome and when the woman come to the man's workplace trouble is added try right? all the laws have been changed only because the woman came into the man's workplace so more trouble for the man less more trouble for them too it's up to you what i am saying is here is the law and we are out of the curse 
We don't have to work under that curse. That is why the Bible says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. You're not working for your company. You're not working for your manager. You're working joyfully for your God. The salary is irrelevant. Joseph got paid nothing. And his managers, his boss's company prospered and prospered and prospered. He began as an employee, went to assistant manager, manager, finally he was CEO. Put in charge of everything. You know why? Because of the way he worked. You don't have to work under a curse. When we work, we don't work to earn a salary. That is benefit. We work to give. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4. We should work. Why? So that we can have enough to give away. Why? Because God is... Do you think God is working so he can eat? No. God is working so that he's forever giving away. God is still working. That's what the Bible says. My father and I are at work and still working. What is God's work? Giving us blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Work is cursed. Work is cursed. We'll just wind up. Go to 23 and 24. And verse 19, verse 19, I didn't give verse 9. Honest appraisal. Okay, you have your company has your year-end appraisal. Yeah. Honest appraisal, not company appraisal, church appraisal, individual. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken from dust you are and dust you shall. So don't, you don't get dazzled by the videos of all these celebrities. Peter? Worshipping dirt. Samir, where do you work? HSBC manager dirt. Avinash, another dirt. Unmarried dirt. At the end of the day, everyone is dirt. Qualified, educated, pretty, tall, thin, fat. It does not matter. Dirt you are and dirt you will become. So don't put on too much airs. You are dirt. Fair appraisal. So God is saying, why do you waste so much time and money and energy on dirt? That's where most of your time and energy goes, right? On dirt. Dressed up dirt. Truth. Appraisal. For dust you are. Let's use dust as dirt. That is dirt, right? Dust you are. Dirt you are. Fair price. Honestly, it's very fair appraisal. It will keep you humble. At the end of the day, we'll all going in the same road. It doesn't matter whether you are the president or you are Ambani or you are Amitabh Bachchan or you are an ordinary person. Everybody is on the same. Where? To becoming dirt. Where your soul will go, be worried. He is the redeemer of your soul. He is the shepherd of your soul. Only thing he says, as long as you are in this body, keep it blameless. It is going to dirt, but let it go blameless. Let the earth open up and say, finally some blameless dirt came in. The final verses, 23 and 24 in Genesis. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. 
God had to do it because there was another tree over there, the tree of life. He didn't want a wicked man living forever. It's the most terrible judgment you would ever get. But look at what he did. He sent him out. He drew him out. You know what sets in? What is the biggest stronghold in so many people? The spirit of rejection. And it is that spirit that causes us to do almost everything because we are trying desperately to be accepted because we were rejected. But we were not rejected. Our behavior was God always loved us. Second, rejection set. That's why Jesus was rejected from birth. How do you know he rejected one birth? How do you know he was rejected by birth? Because what is the first thing his adopted father was thinking? The child is not mine. I will reject him and the mother. See, he was rejected in the womb by his earthly father. He knows what rejection is all the way to the cross so that we could be accepted. And everything we do in life 99% of that you will see immediately in Genesis chapter 4. Performance oriented Cain. Performing. You know what? I'm going to do. I'm going to do. I want to be accepted. God says, you will never be accepted by anything that you do. You'll be accepted only by when you believe what I did for you. Stop performing. That's why we tell people, accept people as they are. They don't have to perform. We encourage our children to be honest, to be hardworking, to be kind, to be loving, but we don't ask them to perform. Perform to be accepted. Just because one child has 80%, another has 30%, that doesn't mean one is accepted. No. But one lies, the 80% lies, and the 30% is honest, we accept this and says, you know what, be like her, or be like him. We don't go in the... Way of the world. It's rejection. That's a stronghold in mankind. We need to understand, even within the body of Christ, rejection, rejection, rejection. Look at all over the West and all over. I mean, East is just imitating the West without understanding the core. But I'm talking about the West. Why do people do tattoos and mohawks and all those things? You know what? Just as a rebel. All rejected people ultimately become rebels if they don't meet Christ. And they rebel against order. They rebel against law. They rebel against authority. You know why? Because you know what? I don't care two hoots to what you say. That is what Cain is. He become defiant when his offering is rejected. And he says, I am not my brother's keeper. I don't care. And you know what? He becomes a wanderer for all his life. We have to see how the enemy sets up people. And we have to be very, very careful. Lord, help me. You understand how God works and how the enemy works. I'm telling you as parents, you will be always before God. Lord, help me with my children. Help me with especially in these last days. Help me, Lord. Their souls are not lost. We are so worried about their careers. Who cares about careers? If you take care of their soul, God will take care of their career. If you have doubts, read the story of Joseph. He took care of his soul. Whatever he learned from his father, he practiced it and God took care of his career. We are more worried about their career and we are worried about their soul. God says, don't worry. Worry about their soul. Be on your knees. Walk before them. Pray continuously. If your children are small, walk before them. 
and be blameless. Isn't that what God told Abraham? Walk before me and be blessed. How blessed are you? All married with believing wives, believing wives with believing husbands. Your children are all small. You know what God says? Learn from me. I will help you. Walk before them and be blameless. You know what? They will grow up in your presence, finding favor with God and favor with man in wisdom and in grace. You know why? All you're doing is through the Holy Spirit, experiencing and showing the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus. Your children will blossom in that. Samuel did not need a teacher in in Shiloh. He already knew how to live because he had seen in his mother's life. That's all he did was that and just be that person. That is what God is talking about. Don't make it complex. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. All, everything we need for life. You will never reach heaven and complain saying, Lord, you know what? I needed this and it wasn't there. God said it was there. It was there. Had it all reserved for it. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Truly you are our Father. And there is no Father like you. Now we understand, Lord, in comparison to you, we are truly evil fathers. And we evil fathers only know how to give good things to our children. But now we realize what we need is not things. What we need is more of your spirit. And that's what you said. Your father will give you the Holy Spirit. We need your word. We need your spirit to control. So that we can walk in that liberty individually. And be prepared for rapture when exit time comes. And we can walk together as a family so that we can be like Noah, preparing an ark in the fear of the Lord for the saving of his family. A spiritual ark. But day in and day out we are contending for the souls of our children so that none is lost. None is found missing on that day. Oh Father, I pray your children, all of us will keep it simple, very simple. A close walk with you that we are able to identify the sound of your feet in the garden of our life. We know the time you visit us. We know the sound of your footsteps and we will not run from you. We will run towards you. And spouses here will humble as your word says in Ephesians 5. Submit to one another. In the fear of the Lord. Starting today. Forgetting tomorrow's, yesterday's. Forgetting the past. Nobody has to go and dwell into the past. Forgetting the past. A new day. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. Your mercies are new every day. And your grace is sufficient for us. And I pray for somebody who is single. And some couple who is married. It will be a new beginning today. They will start walking with God and walking with one another once again. And there will be no fear or shame or secrecy in their life. For you did not give us the spirit of fear, 
but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We are not unclothed in the heavenly realm. We are clothed with the very righteousness of God. We don't have to be ashamed anymore for whom God has covered is covered. For whom God has forgiven is forgiven. For whom God has justified is justified. Who dare condemn in heaven? For it is the Lord who justifies. We don't have to be ashamed of our past. If we have peace about our past with God, all we do is each day stand in your grace. Walk in that grace. Walk in that truth. And we truly will experience the liberty of God. For where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Commit all the little ones into thy hands. From the babies in the womb to the little toddlers over here, every one of them. And as your servant, I bless them in your name. I pray the hand of God will rest upon all our babies, all our little children, all our youth, the teenagers who in early 20s, all of them are Lord. And I continue to speak over our children that all our children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. And our children shall grow in the presence of the Lord. In stature, in wisdom, they shall find favor with God and favor with man. And they will always be full of grace. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. And I bless everyone who is listening today, Lord. Especially I rebuke the spirit of infirmity in the body of Christ. I command it to leave. And I claim the word of God, the body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. From today, I believe many have dedicated their bodies, their soul, their spirit to the Lord. And the Lord is the Lord of their body, their soul, and their spirit. And sickness, you have to leave. And I speak peace into every heart. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Go with us. Go before us, O oh Lord. Let your children truly, truly experience your presence. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen and amen.